0: welcome to insert your wisdom a podcast by the perennial leader project in this episode my guest is dr brian russell a return guest to the show and author of the new book astonished by the word brian is a professor of biblical studies and a transformational coach for pastors and spiritually-minded professionals. Brian is truly one of our wise elders here on the podcast. In previous episodes, we've discussed his book Centering Prayer and explored topics like discernment and the wisdom of forgiveness. In this episode, expect to learn about deep transformation, growing in love, Forgiveness and Acceptance, The Wisdom of And, Scripture and Stillness, Spiritual Journaling, and much more. Without any further delay, please welcome the wise and gracious Dr. Brian Russell. Well, Brian, welcome back to In Search of Wisdom. Thank you, Joshua. It's always great to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you, as I was just mentioning mentioning before we hit record, really enjoyed your new book that just came out, Astonished by the Word. And before we get into to this particular book, uh, which is going to be the topic of our conversation today, I'm curious about, maybe broadly speaking, the word deep, which is uh, in the subtitle of this book. It's in the title of your podcast, Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations, in the title of a a coaching program that you offer. What does this word deep mean to you?
1: Yeah, it it does show up an awful lot. So, uh, And and obviously, it it means something probably beyond what I can even describe, because it's it's coming off at the almost Freudian slip unconscious level there, I think, because I use it continuously. I guess what it, it means is as I've looked back over over my life, you know, in many ways things went really well for me for most of my life. I did have the the, the real just difficult season that I went through twelve years ago and then kind of have rebooted. And I suppose I thought I was deep back on the other side of that, the whole mess. And so deep to me is kind of what happens To what you do with your life after you think you already sort of know a lot of stuff and you realize that you really didn't know half of what you knew. And so at some level, deep is choosing to move past superficiality and to own one's whole life, the good parts and the bad parts.
0: I'm, I'm curious, like as we... You know, typically thinking about listeners, readers, like etc. You know, is there is there something important about recognizing the opportunity to go deeper? Like, is it an infinite thing that there's an opportunity there, or is that not how you think about it?
1: No, no, I, I literally do think of it as as infinite, uh, basically. Where where I where I am, and this is where my Christian faith directly comes into this. Um, the God who I believe in, the, the God I mean, who that I think the Scriptures revealed uh, is um, at God's core, and the Scriptures do teach this um, love. And by definition, God is infinite beyond all understanding. So our greatest thoughts, our best theology, it's just scratching the surface on who God is. But the one thing we do know is that God is love. And let's see, what's a correlation to that or um, an implication of that in the scriptures is teach it, like our response back to this infinite God of love is to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So when I think about deep, you know, at all At any point, like most people really aren't going to disagree with that affirmation we should love. They might not say you should love God, but no one's going to disagree. Love your neighbor as yourself, except actually truly evil people would would push back on that. But, well, you know, what does it mean, right? So how do you model yourself after something that's infinite? Uh, Well, obviously that's impossible as a finite person. And even in all eternity, I just imagine that being in this life that we get a taste of now it's like I live in Florida. Uh, well, you in Georgia, you're not too far from <laughs> from the ocean. I mean, we can go to the ocean, but to me, that's the metaphor. Um, you know, most of us live our whole life on the shore or maybe on the beach, but God's inviting us to get in the water. And you know, getting in the water literally, you can just step down to the shore and then let to the, get in deep enough that the waves just kind of get in and out by how the waves go. But if you keep moving into the ocean, eventually you're going to get to the point where you're going to go under. And to me, that's the deep surrender that God invites us to. A life of faith is just getting in the ocean, but I think God wants us to go deeper. And so I just imagine my the rest of my existence, whatever that means, as of on this side of eternity. And if there is an afterlife, which I do believe there is on, on that, that I'm literally just going to be going deeper and deeper in this ocean of love um, in that you know, my job basically now, and, on, on, you know, to, to make this take its out illustration then is how can I open up my mind, my body, my heart, every nook and cranny to what God really wants to bring in me, which is a deep surrender to love. Um, and so when I think it deep, I'm just trying to share with other people. The ideas, the questions I've asked myself, the things that I've experienced, the practices and spiritual exercises, if you will, that I think have helped me to grow way past where I, when I was younger, would have ever thought was possible. And again, the trick with that at the same time is a caveat, um, I'm a Methodist and in our heritage, we have this um Doctrine called uh, holiness of heart and life. It's the idea that you could fully surrender to God, and we can use this language of perfected in love. But what I've noticed is, the more I've opened myself up, you know, I used to think of myself. Um, this sounds kind of badly, but I'll just say it. I used to think of myself as, you know, maybe I really was living a holy life. But I've noticed as I've done all these practices that I've probably am living better than I ever have, but we, of course, let everybody that knows me affirm or deny that. Uh, 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 While simultaneously, I feel dirtier than I used to be. And I'm not confessing sins here, but it's that idea as you approach infinity, you'll always need the grace that comes from infinity. And that's, you know, I believe God is is that source. I I don't know if that connects resonates but that that's 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 how i would think about eternity mm-hmm. growth and what this whole deep adventure is all about
0: nice you you brought us in the in the deep waters there um seven seven minutes in i, I love it it's a, a beautiful thing and i, I want to maybe come back in a few moments to this uh, like deep surrender to love and you're talking about opening um, but you you mentioned briefly that Augustine quote that that maybe uh, inspired or you know kind of starts off the book. Could you say a bit more about that that opening passage of the book? Yeah, and it comes
1: from. Uh, a, a little book that Augustine wrote. We use it at, at the, at the seminary, the, the, the theology department uses it. So I picked up a copy. It's either called on Christian teaching or on Christian doctrine in English. You can find both titles because it's, um, it would have been written in Latin. So it's just, um, how you translate. So, but it's a book on that Augustine's teaching. He was a rhetoric. He was a, a master of rhetoric. So he was, it's his book where he sort of talks talks about a lot of things. Um, it's kind of a rambling book, but he, he's trying to talk about what it means to actually read scripture and interpret it. He was a Bishop around 400 um, AD. And he kind of been, he says this, like he comes back to this a couple different times, but he basically gives this one line. It's like a, like a tweet. If you're going to say the whole book and his, the, the, the statement, and this does open my books, it's the frame. It's so anyone who thinks he has understood the divine scriptures or any part of them, but cannot by his understanding build up this double love of God and neighbor, has not yet succeeded in understanding them. So it's back to the love God, the love neighbor, the two great commandments. And he's offering that as a check. If you know, You're not done with any part of the Bible unless you really get how this text would help you to love God and love your neighbor uh, more profoundly.
0: Seems to be so important in the way of um, like, uh, as you know, with the name of this podcast and the listeners know in the way of some sort of search for wisdom or whatever it may be, embarking on a particular path, you don't always, and I'm speaking from, from my own experience that, you don't always connect it with growing in this double love you know we don't always think about uh, like self improvement or like whatever it may be even the search search for wisdom becoming wiser in in that way um like what why do you think that why do you think that is cuz it makes sense when you say it you know it's kind of like I don't know. It's it's a strange, strange thing. Like the, the self-improvement thing or stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and to me, that's the fun part of the book a little bit. It's that at some level, it kind of seems obvious, but then if, and one of the reasons I wrote this book was there's so many divisions and fights just among Christians, let alone we start throwing Democrats from Republicans and stuff in the same room. So, you know, so it's like if Christians you know, a lot of times when you think of like we used the word, if you use the word evangelical, for example, that's going to raise all kinds of flags for folks. It used to mean one thing. Now it kind of means people to vote a certain way or, um, uh, you know, and so you have this, just these obvious divisions in your, and so you're thinking like, okay, it seems obvious that, and I would say most religious texts would kind of push sort of in the same direction, I'm not trying to equate all religions, but at some level you think, okay, love God, love neighbor. Okay. Duh. That seems so basic. So, the way to answer your question is, is is and I try to flip it in the book um, without getting too arcane but the idea is the and this might be the backwards way of answering your question the reason that we don't always think about it is because if you want that you have to open up to the possibility that you actually don't love god or love your neighbor Um, Or it's Mm. really subtle. And maybe you think you do. But, you know, you get 50 people around and they're suddenly saying stuff about you because you have all these blind spots. So my book, this book is really about, okay, here's an obvious growth path. That it's, if somebody lived that way, no, there'd be no objections because who wouldn't want to be around somebody that literally you know believes in something bigger than themselves? You know, I'm not, and I'm not talking about firing up an Inquisition because of that, but like literally, you just you know that you're accountable beyond yourself, and that your life is about treating other people with the same amount of love that you could have for yourself. I mean, that would be a beautiful world, I think, if we lived there. So the only reason that doesn't exist then, and like, I'll start with myself, this book was about the own, my own inner work on myself. It's like, okay, so if I'm going to say I'm going to love God more, so then that means I need to explore through, in this case, through the reading of the biblical text. I mean, you can also use contemplative things like centering prayer to get at some of the same things too. I need to explore those parts of my life that I really am not fully loving God, meaning I have mixed loyalties. Uh, So like the opposite of loving God isn't hating God. It's making God or or de-elevating God so that there's a whole bunch of other gods and you just basically you're aligned with the God of the Bible, but then a million other things. And it's the same with loving your neighbor as yourself. I don't even get into the self-love part too much in my book. But to ponder loving your neighbor, you have to... um, open yourself up, how do I, as an individual human, what are ways that I actually consciously and maybe unconsciously uh, practice injustice towards other people? And, you know, and, you know, frankly, I mean, those are the kind of conversations who really wants to know that stuff about yourself, right? So it's, uh, so that's how it kind of answers. Yeah. It's almost painful in some level to know the truth about yourself. You know, it's, there's good things, of course, but it's that, it's those little hard edges. And this book is basically about how do I have the courage to read the Bible as a means of showing me beautiful things about myself, but also showing me the places where we need to invite God to come in and, you know, sand polish off those rough, rough edges. So I really am the person that God created me to be, desires me to be. Um, Yeah. And I can live like that, you know, and I always just say like most of the time, because we're not talking about perfection here, because that's probably not possible.
0: Yeah. I'm really curious. And I I, I love in, in the book, how you talk a bit about uh, like biases and blind spots and, you know, obstacles uh, as you weigh, you've been talking about like opening ourselves up, maybe these things that constrict our ourselves. Um, because like, say, if even one maybe adopts this double love as, as the goal, um, you know, it's still very difficult. Like, as you say, it's, it's not necessarily a perfection is not a possible thing. Could, could you say a bit about you know, the obstacles to this for even someone that, you know, willfully and and eagerly uh, adopts this particular path.
1: Yeah. You know, I think that the obstacles, there's a set that are common, I think, to all, to all humans. It comes out of the contemplative tradition. And that would be what most people would think of as like the seven deadly sins. Um, I always go back to Evagrius Ponticus, who was a fifth century Monastic, and he he had eight, um, and I like his um, because which we'll get to in a second. So basically, what you could say some common blocks are the, the very things that Avagrius and what he was—he was one of the early desert um, fathers, which means men and women left; they were all in for God, so they gave up. Everything literally moved out into the deserts and say Syria and Egypt back in like the fourth, fifth centuries after Christ. So these are like people that if we would have met them, we would have probably thought like these are like, wow, these are like fully committed. These are the holiest men and women we've ever seen. I've never seen anybody that loves God that much. But what was interesting and this is the lesson for us is these folks are out in the desert and they spent time basically in solitude. And what do they do? They prayed and they you know they did other things, but they, they would pray and study and they just wanted to be fully devoted to God. And what they discovered is it was <laughs> it was easier for them to get out of the world into the desert than it was for the world to get out of them. That would be a way I would phrase that. And what they what Evagrius noticed was that there were these eight things that, or he called them evil thoughts or distracting thoughts. And these are some of our blind spots. This is a deeper level kind of blind spots. This is just the stuff that we all have to work out of. And um, the the categories he said were things like um, gluttony, greed, lust. And notice this is super important, and I I don't want to take up all time, but I think it's real important to say that um, those are normal human desires that get distorted. Um, greed is simply a desire to make sure you have enough and it's a fear of not having enough so that's our brain firing off oh i need to get this stuff like you hurt know we had a hurricane like, not too long ago for probably both of us it's like oh i gotta make sure i got food and you know that desire it can when it becomes distorted becomes greed um gluttony isn't just being overweight it's a fear that I'm not going to have enough food, so I either eat too much or I become hyper focused on my body, and you know the, the whole cult of beauty that we've cultivated in the Western world kind of is a form of gluttony, even with people that are super fit. Fitness, an obsession with fitness, is gluttony in some ways. And then lust, obviously, that's the one that a lot of people focus on, but that's not just desire because that's a normal piece for we to reproduce that sexual drive we have, that isn't lust, it's when it becomes distorted. So that's what we're talking about. All these are distorted things. But those are the first ones. And those are the ones that are easiest to see, usually. And, you know, there's lots of movies and plots and stuff. But a saw those as first level. And these get worse as they go down, though, in the modern world, and oftentimes the modern church, we focus on those three things, especially lust. Um, but then the middle ones he had these dispositions that were more of like emotional kind of things on the inside and another blocks that we have are, are would be anger and the early church was more worried about people that were angry. And we have a lot of people I've noticed that are really angry today about lots of things and some things are worth being angry for but it becomes a distorted desire and that's been a block for our growth and love so anger um sadness and he didn't mean depression there but it was um this was more of a religious thing in the sense that um i'm devoted to god and i sort of have a fear i've missed out on my life because i was so devoted to god so it's like a spiritual sadness that maybe i gave up too much and then Mm -hmm. sloth is the same thing it's not laziness nor is it the cute little animal it's um a spiritual laziness like oh i've done enough Uh, you know he called vagaries called it the noonday demon because um Monastics got up early and they were praying, so by noon they're kind of tired. I've done enough for God today, so that's what sloth really is. And then at the bottom, and he thought these were the ultimate killers, so he had two words Um, it's pride, which is me internally thinking I'm better than other people. That's the ultimate killer to the spiritual life is that sense of superiority. And then there's a, then he also. Use the word in English. This would be vainglory. There's, these are both. These are all Greek words that uh, that he would have used. So there was this internal feeling of superiority, which we would call pride, and then vainglory, which is me desiring someone else to point out how great I am. <laughs> so it's my need for like, um, uh, you know, approval or praise or whatever. And so that would be one set of things that are that are blocks I mean, our other biases are the sorts of things that get worked out in relationships like we need to be you know we're you know work groups so like i'm a you know i'm a white male that grew up in the midwest i have certain biases because of my upbringing my, you know, my parents were working class i have this sort of that experience that creates blinders that don't allow me to see some things in the world Whereas if if I was a female, I could see things different, a different way. If I was a different ethnic group, per, a group, I would see things differently. So there's sort of inherent biases that we get just from what we what am I might call tribalism, like just being around echo chambers or being with people that are only like us, that make it impossible for us to see the things. And then there's personal quirks that are blind spots that are all there too, uh, that really just get worked out by being open and building deep friendships with other people that you can get feedback, you know, without literally feeling threatened by it. But so that'd be, and I'm giving you a long answer now, but that would be some of the things that I'm talking about when there's biases. And then you come to the scriptures, all that stuff allows you to see certain things and not see other things, which means we have to be aware and suspicious of kind of our first level readings, lest we only have the Bible tell us what we already know.
0: And that's so good. I think it's so um, helpful, especially um, like as you were talking about pride right there, which is uh, such a tricky, a tricky thing. I mean, it's like you almost need an education to really understand the the many many ways that it can manifest itself. But even as we were talking about earlier like this particular path of becoming wiser or self-improvement. Like sometimes that improvement thing is improving ourselves beyond, you know, others. It's some sort of thing that we think there's like a a hierarchy among, um, you know, among humans and we're in this race with, with one another type of stuff. Um, But yeah, it's a fascinating thing how these things can do and so easily you know show up in in daily life i'm curious like the the thing of receiving love probably something that like saddens me the most sometimes Uh, my wife and i watch a bit of reality tv relationship type of stuff and um and this shows up in in families and things as well. There's like a, a a child that maybe doesn't feel the love from their family member or vice versa. This thing of receiving love, like, how do you think about that? Have you ever, you know, experienced that thing of? Uh, I, I'm sure we all all have to a certain degree, but you know, this thing of, you know, I'm not loved. And maybe how do you think about it today?
1: Yeah, so good. Uh, you know, that is, I think, the ultimate issue. When we think about, I was going to go back and really simply state that what's deep mean, it's actually what you're getting at. Because um, I talked about growing infinitely in love. But basically, um, the the secret, if there's a, it's not even a secret, um, All the spiritual life is... Accepting the fact that you're unconditionally accepted and loved by God apart from anything that you do, that's your identity. That's how we're born. Like, you know, if you're on babies, babies treated well, I mean, just, you know, you can have bad days and they cry and stuff, but, um, you know, they'll start smiling at some point and, and they, they literally, they know they're loved. Um, but. What life does to us, unfortunately, is um, uh, kind of knocks that out of us because through our circumstances, I mean, and there's some exceptions to this. We learn that we need to earn love in certain ways or we have experiences and they don't have to go all the way to the level of true traumatic experiences we just have experiences you get into groups somebody makes fun of you somebody makes a comment about you and you suddenly that innocence that you had that oh i'm okay the way i am like i'm not and so i have to actually now live and earn the love that i get and so most of you know, with our parents right there's usually a parents whose love that we wanted more than we got or whatever or maybe a parent smothers us there's all that attachment stuff that kicks into this and so the spiritual life then is actually letting go of all that armor that we end up building up and the muscles that we built to try to earn love and realizing this isn't there's nothing that i can do it's not willfulness at all and this the, the word i like to bring in i'm trying to i don't know if this was in the book i think it's in the book somewhere but it's i need to get to the point in my life and this is where surrender comes in that i realize there's nothing that i can do to earn love all I can be, all I can do is be willing to receive it, and I have to recognize that the love that God has for me—if I'm not receiving it, there's something that I'm, I'm somehow blocking it, whether it's unconsciously or or, or consciously—and it's hard to blur those things. And so I need to literally have the courage to just open myself up, and like you know, I've said. Like my favorite, one of my favorite prayers is, God, help me believe the truth about myself, no matter how beautiful it is. Um, that's a prayer that God will answer. Sounds heretical, depending on your background. You're like, what? I thought I was a sinner and stuff. And it's like, well, there's mm-hmm. the other side, too. Lord, help me believe the truth about myself, no matter how difficult it is, too. And that's where grace comes in. But those are the things that we need. You know, and so I need to be willing to let God show me those two things. And when we do that, we're, we're literally opening ourselves up to love. And to me, that's what the gospel is too. It's, you know, we can talk about, you know, heaven and hell and all that stuff, but really all it really is, is I'm reconnecting with the God who loves me so that I can live as the person that God created me to be out of that identity of of love.
0: Hmm. Let me ask you, um, I've always thought it was an Augustine quote. I remember trying to find it one time and I, I couldn't quite um, find the particular quote, but something along the lines of our particular, that desire to be loved can be filled by like God alone. You know, it's like looking for it to, to fill that um, that maybe round peg here on earth like humans kids relationships whatever it may be it's not going to be a fit and i think he's talking from a a bit of a tortured soul in the way of uh, you know confessions and things like that someone that searched high and low um you know for for many different things and in, in wisdom is that um you you know do you think that is uh, regardless of whether augustine said or not do you find that to be be true
1: I think it is true, and, and by the way, Augustine says there's two people that say almost the same thing, and that's uh, it's the very first paragraph of Augustine's Confessions where he he says something really close to that. It's about our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. It depends on the translation, and then, yeah. um, Blaise Pascal and his says talks about and it's something like God sized hole or something like that. So those are the two thinkers that get at that. Just if you ever want to try to find it, but it's Ponce's might have the closer quote that you're living. It's Pascal, but
0: nice. yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that, that literally is, those are the ideas that I, um, that I really work off and this gets really even underneath the book. And this could be something else I, I work off. I've always thought about, um, well actually I do talk about it in the books. So I talk about it with this, this idea of therapy, which I don't that's a made up word, but it's like how do you get all the idols out of your life? And I basically argue, and this is where the blocks come in, is we all have a hole that's filled that's lack, that it's it's anxiety, it's fear, shame, guilt, all that stuff that if, if we're quiet in a dark room with your eyes closed and you just sit there It's the stuff that comes up, you know, if you want to call me your demons or whatever, I'm not talking about literal demons. It's the stuff. It's the chatter. It's the negative self-talk. It's that parent's lying that you weren't good enough or it's the kid that made fun of all that stuff that just goes around inside of us when you're in in silence. I call that the whole and the only in the uh, in our temptation, though, is to self-medicate that pain in some way whether it's like for me i worked way too much for too many years trying to prove that i was good enough from um, other people you know can you can do you know, some things are harmless um you know, play video games too much some people get into alcohol drugs all that kind of stuff all the things that are sort of the addictions that are basically they're soothing our pain from something outside of ourselves so that's that hole and instead what you know, that's what I'm talking about being willing it's like you got to be willing to just face that experience the discomfort as the way that god actually will then come in because the reality is is god is inside of that dark space who's to think god's somewhere else but that it's in that dark space but you have to have the courage to just face it and come open-handed surrender um, and then, and then, that's and then the love actually flows into that hole ultimately. So we try to fix it ourselves; the hole doesn't go away. If we own it, feel it, and have the courage to just face it, um, God fills it with His love.
0: Hmm. That, that's beautiful. I want to chat a bit about that um, here here shortly. I've got a note of that, but before I forget, I want to talk a little bit about. Um, reading the Bible, you know, reading the word, your book, Astonished by the Word. And sometimes it seems like we can think of that being, I need to read it cover to cover. You know, I need to, it's like an all or nothing thing. And I've been listening to a few of your podcasts uh, this week, and you said something, um, I, I don't remember exactly word for word, but this particular passage of father, you know, forgive them for they know not what they do, you know, as, as Jesus on the, on the cross and, you know, it's seven or eight words. And I I just wonder if in terms of reading scripture, um, like just taking a small particular passage and not just reading it and being done with it, but you know, meditating on in a way, letting it live with us. And towards the end of the book, you talk about, you know, different practices, Lectio Divina and spiritual journaling, which we can get to towards the end of the conversation. But I'm just curious if you'd say something about, you know, reading a, just a a small piece of the word.
1: Yeah. And the the one thing I would say is, you know, um, it is good at some point to read, you know, kind of know what's in the Bible, but it's better to actually apply and fully integrate one verse than it would be to know everything that was in the Bible. And so there's always a balance. Like I've, you know, I've been reading the Bible since I was like 15, so I'm like 39 years into it. And so there's seasons where, um, I'll read just big chunks. Like I want to read the whole Bible all the way through. So I'll, you know, takes a couple of months unless you're really take because it's long. Um, if you read the whole thing, and then sometimes I just park in the same book f- for, for months, just reading the same passages. And so, yeah, we, we want to be open to the spirit. It's always, you know, interpretive wise, it's better to get some context, but it's always appropriate when you find a key passage to just drill down because to go back to my ocean metaphor, um, You know, most passages in the Bible um, are endlessly interesting if we have the courage to open ourselves up fully and deeply ponder them. I mean, if you would just go to like a theological library, if you ever have the chance, if you you would just see how many books (laughs) have been written, like you just grab a commentary and just pick any book on the Bible... It just, you would have, you could fill like thousands of bookshelves just with people that have said things about one of the books, right? So it's just, there's just so much depth. So, yeah, just anybody listening, it's like, it's not about getting through everything. It's about allowing God to speak for you really powerfully through, you know, a couple of words, a couple of verses, a paragraph. And that's a great way to study. You just kind of slowly read, like my practice this year, this is 2023 and we're talking is, um, um, I read, I'm just reading through the lectionary, which is a way that most uh, the, the Roman Catholic has, the church has a lectionary and Protestant churches have a lectionary. a different version, but it basically just gives you four, four short paragraphs for the next Sunday. And I've just been reading those four texts every day as my devotional life over against trying to consume a lot. So, um, I think I'm answering your question, but I'm just saying there's Different ways to read the Bible and you just want to be sensitive kind of to, literally to, you know, your sensitive your own to the spirits leading, your discernment. What does you know? I always ask myself, what's my soul really need? Sometimes it needs a real quick, a big drink of a lot of stuff. Sometimes it needs to go deep on a smaller text.
0: Yeah. And you have some beautiful questions at the at the end of each chapter, which I, I really appreciate. You know, the the idea of of letting one of these questions, uh, you know, live with you for a bit. I'm curious, like that particular passage, you know, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We've spoke before about maybe different wisdom traditions helping us to uh, understand our particular, you know, adopted path that we're attempting to follow. And it reminds me of, uh, I, I made a note of something that Epictetus wrote. Epictetus said, you know, in the beginning, you're blaming others. Then you move from that step and you're blaming yourself. But as you progress down the path, then you don't blame others. You don't blame yourself. You know, there's essentially no one to blame. Um, and like you could put that under the umbrella of forgiveness or wh- whatever you would call it with wisdom whatever it may be but it seems like like everything that we talked about like earlier we talk about these like blind spots and like closing us off and you know all sorts of stuff is that little tricky thing of blame You know, it's like we want to find a cause to thing. Something happens to this. Like you mentioned anger. I'm angry. And it's because of this person over here. You know, this is the cause. This is the person to blame for my anger. But this place of like there's nowhere to go there's nothing to really actually improve in the way of this self-improvement thing there's no one to blame it's a pretty radical thing and like you mentioned like this deep surrender to love like it sounds like like deep surrender to life you know as well some of this stuff so yeah it's a, it's a fascinating and beautiful thing like in a way like why is the thing of that there's no one to blame um such a challenging thing and I, and I'm not going to the extreme where there's like it doesn't mean that there aren't there's not accountability for things and you know all all sorts of stuff like that but um yeah any anything come up around that Brian
1: yeah that's really deep let me just I think I love that epictetus quote too I uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of like because obviously when Jesus is saying, "Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do," he is extending people forgiveness that are crucifying him, right? So he's literally here is the Son of God he's being crucified. Um, it, so blame. So there's a so the it, the key for us to take that. and The reason I love that passage so much because of all the ways that. Um, you know, we don't see that because most people are want, want revenge or whatever. Even when we think about justice, sometimes we think, well, that person is going to get what's coming. Here's Jesus just literally giving them a blanket forgiveness. To, you know, to, the, what it does is if we can live beyond blame, it doesn't mean, and I think this is where the, I mean, the Stoics really do have some good things. It's like, it's not that we don't have preferences, right? You know, we would I would prefer not to be crucified. <laughs> as I think most people <laughs> would be. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'd prefer. You know, I'd prefer to drive down the road and everybody gets out of my way, and I just have a nice little easy drive down whatever highway. Right? Those are preferences. Um, but the reality is, life is messy, right? Uh, you know, one of my favorite. Uh, my my daughters very joke about this. Um, one of our favorite passages from Epictetus. It's from the handbook where he talks about if you're going to get a bath you know and and there's a public bath so you know somebody's going to touch you you're going to get splashed all that kind of stuff and guess what that's because you're getting a bath right and so i I think this whole idea about blame is just recognize that life life is super messy we're all it's well honestly we're all from this my christian faith speaking we're all sinners who need grace you know the, uh, even the best of us will always need grace uh therefore if we play the blame game they're only what you, there's not there's there's no end to that so therefore can i extend grace doesn't mean again like you said doesn't mean there's not accountability it doesn't mean that people can act any way they want to but i'm going to live a life where i can just release all these things back to god and with god's help i think this is where christian faith comes into you have a verse like um this gets misused, but I think it's a beautiful one if you choose right. Um, All things work together for the good of them that love God and are called according to his purposes. It's Romans 8, 28. And just go back to our friend Augustine. Um, he wrote even our sins. And so that's a way of living life where, yeah, if, if I surrender in to the good, the bad, the ugly, the insignificant, um, doesn't mean I have to like everything that happens. Um, but that's where a life without blame, and that gives an opportunity for um, for salvation to come in, um, for redemption, like in our world. I mean, we want to blame people for doing bad stuff, but then you get the sense that we just want to ruin people once they've been blamed sometimes and that there's no way back, right? Um, we need to create a world, you know, world beyond blame. It doesn't say that Bad things are good things, but it shows that there's a way out for even a bad person to come back so that that's what's coming to my mind um, you know, I probably ought to stop yeah.
0: yeah and I want to touch on in this conversation there's a you know a few chapters that talk a bit about a attention sometimes I say like the wisdom of of and there's a big important and in the middle of things, and one is the Bible is 100% human and 100% divine. Could you say a bit about that?
1: Yeah. Um, and that's obviously that makes no sense if the, in a mathematical way. Cause, um, but the idea <laughs> there is, you know, I think all Christian traditions are, are going to have some statement about the Bible being authoritative, they'll use different words sometimes you get infallible and different ideas but it's the the scriptures are authoritative for faith and practice precisely because god inspired them Um, however if one studies the bible carefully and really gets into the weeds you're immediately confronted with the reality that the Bible was written in many ways, just like other books written by humans. So there's places where sometimes the stories seem to contradict. Um, You can't always verify whether something with the Bible reports happened. And so you have to use kind of typical kind of human inquiry. So I think it's important to to recognize that it's, it's both. And so that if, when you do a careful study of the human processes, like you may find out, for example, that um, skip from like, you know, like just to, to give one example, when you study Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, a lot of scholars, most critical scholars would say that those were books weren't actually written by those people. They get attributed to the traditions to those people. Well, not everybody's going to like that, and, and it may or may not be true, but that would be a focus. But the point would be, regardless of the human means that part of the Bible, how it came together, that doesn't take anything away from the divine part. So, like, to me, I... Um, illustration i'll use i think this is in the book too it's like it's like a pizza it's like if i get eight slices of pizza if seven slices are human that doesn't mean that then that would mean one slice was divine but it's not like that um you it's a hundred percent both so we're really talking about two pizzas and to say you know so the idea is to recognize that the bible is human and divine and divine not to see that as a problem in the same way in orthodox christian theology jesus was both fully human and fully defined so then that's like that's one of the creeds that i think all christians um agreed to assent to in the belief system so i don't don't know if that um, muddied it up or if that was uh, clear enough there josh
0: no i i think it does and i think it um like in the way of as you say muddy it up I don't know. Maybe does it like does, maybe it needs to be muddied up. Maybe it's um in the way it's like one thing like that. And makes it. Uh, I made a note of another one on um another tension of you talk about God is knowable and greater than we are capable of understanding. Um, when you went, went through school many, many decades ago and things like that. Did you, did you learn a little bit about that? Like, is that, uh, I'm not a person that's, um, you know, has any sort of theological training and things like that. Is that like the wisdom of and, or this tension thing? Is, is that something that, um, so is, is focused on in your world?
1: Sometimes. Like I, I happen to come out of the Methodist, um, side of the christian family and and uh, one of the geniuses of john wesley who was the founder was was he was pretty big about this tension between both and so that is part of our theological tradition but i will say that maybe intellectually i was introduced to that when i was younger but it means more to me now as i've lived through my life experienced um, beautiful things and really hard things and what it really gets at is um and i think another and an important and would be certainty and uncertainty that's where the know, knowing and unknowing comes from because the both and is nice when we're trying to just kind of hold things together but it's scary at an existential level because you know if we're talking about how do I live my life? Um, you know, some things that don't matter, like what am I gonna have for lunch today? Your life doesn't depend on that, you know, unless it's choice between poison and you know, regular food, but assuming, but you know, that doesn't matter. <laughs> but like when we get to really big things, like, how am I going to live? What's my career going to be? Who am I going to marry? Um, uh, Do I go all in on what I sense God is calling me to do? Um, We'd like certainty. And when I was younger, I think I missed God because I desired to be certain more than I really desired God. And so... um, That's how I would answer your question. So I've gotten more comfortable as I've gotten older, and this comes out of a lot of the contemplative stuff of theology and properly understanding the scriptures teach us true things about God. They give us true analogies about God and in ways of thinking. But I always have to remember that God is infinitely bigger than even the most beautiful things that these things teach. And so there, that's a, that's, so that's, that's how I've changed and I've gotten okay with it um, with that. And it's really expanded my faith. And frankly, it's actually, in some ways it saved my faith when I was going through my dark night of the soul to realize this, I don't have to understand it for it to be true. And that's hard for a guy hmm. who spent his whole life studying to say that. But that yeah. was my new. That was my conversion experience, which is to embrace that and around the certainty, uncertainty stuff, the knowable, but yet, uh, um, uh, um, yeah, I can know God, yet God is bigger than that, that as well.
0: Yeah, and it seems to be so important, and and in some way, I think that that tension or that and connects with what we were talking about um, a bit before of. Maybe taking a look at some of the ways that were not so lovable, and maybe that's uncovered in centering prayer, maybe it's uncut and uncovered in reading scripture, but in some sort of um way, there's like an and there as well. anything come to mind that you could share, Brian
1: yeah I would just I would say. What you're looking for, and like one of my favorite parts of the book, and this is one of the first parts I wrote, Is I just one day was, I was thinking like, how is it possible that I've read certain parts of the Bible my whole life and missed it somehow? And And then I thought, you know what, it's because I've spent way too much time thinking about all the other people that should be reading this text instead of me. And so like an "and" that I want to touch on is like, I, like a, one of my favorite big sentences, it's something like um, whenever I read a text and immediately think of somebody else or some group that should apply this passage to their life, I've realized that's actually a signal that I'm the person that needs to apply this text to my life. Right. And so that's, what's coming to mind when you're saying that. So it's, 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 um, you know, the blind spots are there when we have it, when we, desire first order to externalize or we think of some other person that needs to hear this that's that there's some that's really a signal like or if I find a part of the Bible I don't like that's the part that I need to look at more uh, and so that's where I'd say the end. it's like that notice the things you do like and <laughs> be super <laughs> careful to pay attention to the parts of the text that you wish weren't there
0: mm. Good. Uh, Our time uh, flew by again here. I wanted to ask uh, a few practical, you know, questions for the listeners. Could you, uh, you know, give a a brief description of how you talk about Lectio Divina and then also um, a a spiritual journaling practice just so the listeners can get some uh, some practical strategies there? I think it'd be really helpful.
1: Yeah, and and I also just say if, if if people are curious beyond this, obviously they can look at my book, but also you can go on the internet and type in Lectio Divina and find some good resources. But in a sense, all this is, is it's it's basically a contemplative way of reading the scriptures. You know, I would say start out with a prayer, um, and I I would actually say say Lord, astonish me anew with the riches of your word, because we want to be astonished, so that we can potentially. Be astonishing with the way that we do the text, but then Lectio is basically if they want to think of it as taking a breath in and then taking a breath out, and then the breathing in part. Um, it starts off there's four stages of Lectio, and the first two are what I would call breathe in. The first one is really just read, it's you're reading the text. So, whether it's a verse, and you can't really do Lectio on a big chunk, so a paragraph or verse, you're just going to read it multiple times. Um, and just see what's there. Your idea is what's there, what's jumping off, what's landing with you. What do you notice about the words, the way that the, it sounds? Maybe read it out loud, read a couple of different translations, but you're just reading the text. And then second, um, you're meditating on the text, which essentially just means, you know, what's landing and, and then you want to connect what the text with maybe stuff you already know. If you know the Bible, maybe there's other texts that are coming to mind, maybe previous ideas you had about God or the church or people or love or whatever that passage is, you're just kind of chewing on it. So you're breathing the text in to get a sense on what it seems to be teaching. And then, you know, and that's just at that point, you sort of got interesting things about the Bible in your head. Um, You've got some basic understanding, but now that's just the breathe in. You know, if you just breathe in, you can only take it so much. You got to breathe it back out, and so it's always the word comes to us, so it can go back out. And if there's two stages on the breathe out. It's um, praise or prayer first of all, and this is where the love God, love neighbor comes in. Okay, based on what I've just read, how does this text teach me to love God or or praise God? pray to God and then the second breathe out is um well, how does this text then how do I live this out in my daily life and my interactions with others in the world so that that's like the read meditate breathe in and then breathe it back out uh, how does this teach me to love God how does this teach me to love my neighbor
0: hmm. nice and, uh,
1: then you can get way into the weeds on that but that's the basic steps and then the journaling um and i do i've been doing this for years um it's a form of the prayer of examine but it's um kind of my hack version of it so um, but the, it does have it i'll give credit to ignatius this was kind of but so I, I essentially template journaling for me is um and this can help you read the text by getting at blind spots and what's bothering you is i always start with gratitude so you know just you know three, five things, people, events that you're super grateful for and and learn to cultivate that. What we appreciate, appreciates. Jesus said he who has will be given more. He who doesn't have what even what he has will be taken away. Jesus is talking about appreciate what you have. And so that, that's, that's just a grounding spiritual experience. And then I would suggest, you know, ponder like what's really bothering me. I ask myself, what's bothering me today? Um, and, Be sensitive to that. Be sensitive to bodily sensations, nervousness or thoughts. Get it all on paper. because You're basically praying out to God that the things that bother you. And those two practices to me are, are open us up to the word. And then I can come to the word with a blank slate. But I've unburdened my insides. You know, you could also use centering prayer with or as a substitute for the journaling as a way just to prepare my inner life to receive the word and to go through that lectio divina process.
0: And in in your practice, are these, um, you know, fairly fairly uh, short 20, 30 minutes or so? Is that does that sound about right?
1: Yeah, if yeah, so like I do this in the in the morning most of the time. So yeah, you could do, and again, you could do as much time. Like if it's a, you know, pastor or somebody's going to teach the Bible or maybe a Bible teacher, you're going to spend. You could spend. The, You know, hours doing some of these things. But yeah, you can literally have a morning devotional time where you spend 15, 20 minutes doing some kind of contemplation and some scripture reading every day in a way that would really set you up and ground you for the rest of your day.
0: Well, we've made it to this final wrap up question that I've I've asked you uh, before you know, how do you define or, or think about wisdom in daily life? So take it any way that you like, tie it into this particular new book. What what comes to mind, Brian?
1: Yeah, you know, I'll always, I always I love that question. I don't even remember how I've answered it before. So this may be new or it may be the same thing I said before here. But I would say at this point, um, I mean, wisdom is essentially just learning to live uh, in light of what is around us. Using the resources, I mean, I'm going to say as a Christian, relying on God for to fill in the gaps beyond my own expertise. But it's, but I would say the wise life is living in harmony with uh, with, with nature, with God, and our fellow humans around us.
0: Well, beautiful. Well, as always, this has been great. And again, uh, for the listeners, the new book is Astonished by the Word. Are, are there any other books or particular sites that you might point our listeners to?
1: Yeah, I guess, you know, my Centering Prayer book really goes along. This is almost like a follow-up to that, So it teaches the contemplative prayer. So you can check out my Centering Prayer book, Centering Prayer, Sitting Quietly in God's Presence Can Change Your Life. If you want to connect with me, you can check out my website. I've been blogging a little bit more. It's um, brianrussellphd.com, and there you can find links. Um We'll put a plug-in for my YouTube channel. You can find the link off of my website. But if you're just interested in, like, you'd like to see my some of my Bible teaching, I have a playlist on centering prayer. I have some stuff on astonished. Actually, all my videos I use at Asbury, where I teach at Asbury Seminary, are on there as well. So folks, there's a got hundreds mm. of videos on Scripture and uh, um, in in some coaching stuff, but mostly it's Scripture, prayer, and those kind of things to help people in their spiritual life. So I'd point folks there if they'd be interested to.
0: Nice. And I'd have to recommend uh, your podcast as well. You've you've done some really good solo casts uh, lately that I've really enjoyed. So Yeah, good stuff. So thank you so much, Dr. Brian Russell. Thank you for coming back on In Search of Wisdom.
1: Anytime, Josh. It's great to see you. And thanks,
0: everybody, for listening all the way to the end. It's always a joy. Thank you for listening. I hope you found something useful. If so... I encourage you to put what you've heard into practice. You can learn more at perennialleader.com. There you'll find links to show notes. Until next time, be wise and be well.